We welcome you to the Christian Ministries Church podcast. We believe God has a message for you today that will encourage and speak truth to your heart and life. Let's join Pastor Melanie Bertolio as she shares the word with us today. Right. Well, thank you all for being here in church today. It is wonderful to see each and every one of you. Now, I've been up here uh, leading worship, but some of you may not know this. My name is Melanie Bertolio, and I am one of the pastors on staff, and I lead worship, and I, I'm the principal of our, our K-12 through school um, that we have here. And so um, I have played a lot of roles through the years, um, but uh, the Lord has been very, very good to me, and I'm very excited about what we've got going on this year with our theme, which is to be living by faith. And so we're going to talk about a, a, a subject today in, that falls under the category of living by faith, but I want to talk about this first. First of all, I just want to say, I, and I really mean this, good job, because the, the Sunday after Easter is um, statistically... Uh, one of the lowest attended Sundays across America in church. Um, and, and we've got a good crowd. we got a really good crowd. So good job on that. Um, but we celebrated Easter last week, and we should, shouldn't we? Yeah. I mean, we should celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is our Messiah, our Savior, our hope, and He is ultimately our future. And so we celebrate His resurrection and why do we do that? I mean, ultimately, why do we celebrate his resurrection? Well, we celebrate his resurrection because it's what allowed our resurrection. All right? See, we were once dead in our sins, but we've been made alive in Christ. And that is the hope that we live in and with until the day that we get to live with him in face-to-face, just face-to-face. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. It says you used to live like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, it says we were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. But God, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our many sins... He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he has raised us from the dead along with Christ. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Now, let's, let's think about those verbs there. It's already done. See, we are one with Christ, so we have been seated. We are, he is the head and we are his body. And so wherever he is, we are. Wherever we are, he is. And so when it says that he has been seated with Christ, that means we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms 
because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. So we were spiritually dead, but through our belief in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we have been made alive again. And that's something to celebrate. And we did last week. We celebrated it big time. It was great. And we just gave God glory for raising Christ and then raising us. But you know, too many Christian people... Now, I mentioned that the, the, the Sunday after Easter is one of the, the, the lowest attended Sundays in the year across America in the church. And Easter is one of the, if not the, highest attended uh, service of the year. Uh, but there's a, whole, there's a reason for that. There's a lot of Christians who stop celebrating. They celebrate for a day, and then they just stop. And they wait till there's another reason to celebrate somewhere in the end of December. And then they celebrate again. And then they stop. And then sometime in March or April, they celebrate again. And then they stop. And, and, and they get stuck in this place uh, where they don't know what to do in the in-between. All right? And that's why today... Sadly, in, in many churches, their attendance is significantly lower than it, than it was last week. And the reason for that is just because people don't know what to do. The reason is because they get more caught up in the celebration. Everybody loves a good party. Everybody loves a good reason to get all dressed up and buy something new to wear. And a lot of you did that last week, and you should have, and I'm glad, and you looked great. But the fact of the matter is that, that there's more for us. There is more for us, but, but they're into celebrating, they're into traditions. It feels good to go to, to church on Easter. It just feels good. And we have a culture of people across this country who do everything based on what it feels like. So when it feels good to go to church, they go to church. And when it doesn't feel good to go to church, they don't go to church. If they're sleepy, they don't go. If they're tired, they don't go. But what I am telling you is... That, that there is a reason why the country looks the way it does. There's a reason why people act the way they do. There's a reason why that the, the, the vast majority of people who profess to be Christians don't have any fruit in their life at all to show for it, and they draw no one to themselves because of Christ being in them. But here's the hard part. And the sad part and the hard to swallow part is that there's a lot of people who still get up and go to church every Sunday who kind of do the same thing. I mean, I mean, really, there's a lot of people sitting in the in the in the, the services on Sunday mornings whose lives Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday don't really look any different than than the lives of people in the world. And I'm not even, I think they don't know it. I mean, I really think that the question needs to be, is that me? And maybe I just don't know it. Because most people who are doing that have no idea they're doing that. 
And I kind of compare it to, I've, I've, now, I've now trained up three humans in this world to drive. And I compare it to someone who's learning to drive and learning, uh, you know, just gets that permit. You know, all you have to do to get a permit is go in and pass a written test. You don't even have to have ever been behind the wheel, ever. So you just go in and you just pass a written test. Well, there's a lot of people that do that. But, you know, when you get a, a kid in the car for the very first time, Oh, they're excited, they're nervous, they're thinking about everything they're going to do, and they're, they're just, you know, nerves are on edge, and they're just so in tune with what they're supposed to be trying to accomplish, and they take off, and it's jerky, and it's, you make all these really quick stops, and it's, you know, and my mother, my own mother used to put her foot up on the dash, like, I, you know, I, I don't know what that was about, but... But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was encouraging, and it really uh, probably does speak a lot about what my ability to, was at that point in time. But, you know, I mean, they get in the car, and they're just, you know, they're, but they're worried about where everything is. I mean, you get in the car, and they're trying to find where are the hazard lights, where's the emergency brake, where's the windshield wipers, and, and every car's different. And they're just like, you know, and they're just trying to get it all figured out. And then the, the, the dash lights up, and there's a billion things on there that you just don't know what each one means. And, and so they're just, they're just so, they're giving such attention to the practice of driving, right? But isn't it interesting? Have you ever thought about this? How quickly... They go from, I mean, from being so in tune. And I mean, they're only worried about themselves. And, and they don't think of themselves in the context of everybody else that's on the road. And they're just thinking about themselves. And they do something. And then they look over the, at you and they start telling you what they just did. And then you're going, look at the road, look at the road, look at the road. You know, because, but they're only thinking about things in, in the context of what they are doing. They're, and then, so, so you take someone who does something perhaps that they shouldn't do or that's a little bit uh, outside the, the, the safer things that a driver would do and someone swerves around them or, or turns in front of them or stops quickly in front of them and then you start t adding all of that into just them knowing what to do with all this stuff that's around it. It gets pretty crazy. But it's funny how quickly they go from that to driving where it seems like, quite frankly, they're just on autopilot. You know what I mean? I mean, they go from being so concerned and giving such attention to it to then it's like, okay, hold on. You're not giving any attention to what you're doing, right? And then before long, you know, there's a bump in the fender and, and there's door dings where they whack the car into something else. And, and, and there's all kinds of things that have happened and maybe even they've had some fender benders and some, you know, whacked a you know, hit a mailbox or maybe knocked a mirror off at Sonic. I'm bringing that one up because I might know something about that. Although the mirror didn't actually come off. But, um, but, but maybe even there's a big wreck, you know. I mean, Shelby had a really, really, she had a wreck that um, was, that really scared us. Um, but uh, suddenly... Suddenly, that brings them back to center, doesn't it? And, and they get in the car, and they're thinking about all of those things they were thinking about in the beginning, right? They're giving attention to all of the things 
that they were giving attention to in the beginning. And I see the, the life of believers kind of in that same context because there are a lot of people in the world who are, re, you know, when they get saved or, or when they just recommit themselves to the Lord, they're very, very gung-ho and they're giving great attention to the Lord. And it just seems like it's very short order before they're right back to not paying any attention to the one in their life who deserves all of the attention. Yeah. And it's, so it's, it's very, um, very hard when you get those wake-up calls uh, that cause you to kind of come back to center. And so a lot of people's lives who, who know Jesus, who are going to be in heaven when they die, they still look like, they have a life that looks like they don't even really know him. And they certainly aren't producing fruit to show the world, hey, I know Jesus. They're certainly not producing fruit that says, Jesus changed my life. And, and that's not what we want for Christian Ministries Church. But you know, if it's, it's not, if it's not going to be like that, then we've got to know what to do after the celebrating. We can't just stop. We can't just get stuck after the celebrating. I mean, I praise God that Jesus came to this earth as a man. I praise God that he lived a sinless, perfect life and that he died in my place because I'm not enough to satisfy anything, any of the wrath of God. And if I was, I would, I would still be headed for a devil's hell. I'm, I'm thankful he was enough and he substituted himself for me. But there is more to just sitting on that and living there. I thank God that he is in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father. But here's what I love is I'm right there with him. The Apostle Paul told us what we're to do in the in-between the in time. I don't know if you knew that, but he told us. He told us several times. He gives us a lot of instructions on what we're supposed to do in the in-between. And I want us to go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 because we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that I think... Now, keep in mind, we're living by faith, all right? We are living by faith. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, But you, Timothy, are a man of God. All right, we're going to stop right there. All right, you, Timothy, are a man of God. My question to you is this, are you a man or woman of God? And if the answer to that question is yes, then everything we're going to read after this is for you. All right, so everything we're reading applies to you. So listen through that lens, all right? He says, you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. And in the context of the passage, he's, he's been talking to him about false teaching. All right? There's a whole lot of false teaching in this world. So he's saying, run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the truth, for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And I charge you before God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate that you obey this command without wavering. Then no one can find fault 
Hold on, I lost my plate. With you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from, he- from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He alone can never die and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you all. All right, the end. There's a lot of important words in that passage, and I want to just throw them out at you. Run, pursue, fight. Hold tightly, obey, teach, tell, guard, and avoid. (laughs) That's fundamentals of the faith 101 right there. If you just got on that passage and sat there for a while, it would be a great benefit to you. But for right now, I want to concentrate on this. We're going to focus on the fight. We are going to focus on the fight because we are living by faith And we are fighting by faith. And Paul calls it a good fight. I didn't know there was a good fight. I raised twin boys. Just just got them out of being teenagers. And I'm just telling you, I didn't know there was a good fight. Um, But here's what you need to know. It's a good fight. But it's still a fight. It's still a fight. And if it doesn't feel like a fight, then maybe you're not fighting. So a lot of Christians are under the impression that after they get saved, that God's just going to shield them from every bit of pain and suffering, from mean people, mean Christians sometimes. He's going to shield them from all the the consequences of their own dumb decisions. And it's just not true. This is a fallen world that we live in, and that's just not how God works. It's not how he works. I wish, but then I don't wish. And here's why. Because if that's how he worked, we wouldn't have free will, would we? It wouldn't be our decision to follow him. One of these days, we're going to be in heaven and there's going to be no sorrow, no pain, no disease, no death, no aging, no tears. No tears about aging, which are the ones that I cry a lot. (laughs) But, But living a life of faith is a fight. And you have to fight from your faith, for your faith, if you're ever going to grow your faith. And, and I think that that's part of what we as a 
body of believers in this country, not in this church, but in this country, have missed. It's a good fight, and it benefits you, and it grows the kingdom of God on the earth, and it glorifies Jesus, but it's a fight. Now, I want to tell you something, though. I, I love this passage, and I know that when we put it up on the screen, we're putting up just a verse or two at a time, but if you look at it in your Bible... It is, um, starting with verse 11, it goes through verse 11 um, through 14, and it's giving us some instructions. And then verses 15 and 16 are kind of neat because they're totally different. And then in verse 17 through 21, he starts teaching us again. But in verses 15 and 16, um, Paul just stops for a minute, and he just starts talking about Jesus. And he says, at the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven um, by the blessed and only almighty God, king of all kings, Lord of all lords. He can never die. He lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. All honor and power to him forever. It's... And then he goes back to teaching us. And here, here's what we got to know about the Christian life. There, there are three camps of people in, in the Christian realm. There's people who are, are legalists. There are people who are very carnal. And hopefully there are the people that are right in the middle. And that group in the middle, we need to be working on growing that group in the middle. Because the legalists are all hung up on the, the rules and the law. And they think God loves them more because they follow the rules when other people don't. The carnal people think that God, no, they know that God loves them no matter what. So they're living any old way they want to. And they're not honoring and glorifying God with their, their lives. And, and neither one of those are right and neither one of them draw people to, to Christ the way that we want to draw people to Christ. But, we, but in our talking about what we ought to do and in our talking about how much Jesus loves us, we've always got to keep right in the center just like Paul did. This is who Jesus is. We are going to honor and glorify who Jesus is. And so I love that, that example of Paul, that Paul gives us is it's important what you do, and I'm going to tell you what to do, but right in the middle of it, I'm going to always remind you of who Jesus is, and let's not get too hung up on, on doing. Let's not too, get too hung up on freedom. Let's marry those things right in the middle and, and love God and in, impact the world around us. So that's why Paul, I believe, did that, is that um, he wanted to remind them, okay, yes, let's not get so hung up on, on all the, the doing that we forget about who Jesus is. Um, but uh, then Paul went on to say uh, to the Philippians, and this is something that he's saying to the church, okay? What he was saying earlier was to Timothy and to us as individuals, because he was telling Timothy how to live, yeah. all right? But in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 27, Paul is speaking to the church at Philippi, and so this is to the, the, the corporate body of Christ. And he says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that, that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle 
in the past, and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. So we're to be fighting an individual fight of faith, and, that, and we're going to talk some about that in just a few minutes. But, but we also, as a corporate body of believers, we are in a fight and a struggle that it says we are in together. And we're getting ready to have a culture conference, and that's kind of what that culture conference is all about. We are learning as a body of Christ how to stand together against the things that the world is trying to to, uh, get the church to put its stamp of approval on. And quite frankly, many of people in the church have done that. So we are learning how to struggle together. And and I know, here's what you got to know. I know that this is not a wonderful message because what I'm telling you is you got to fight and it's going to be a struggle. Yippee! I'm just, I'm just teaching you what the Word says. That's what I'm doing. Um, but there's a reason why we're having this conference, and I do want to tell you that you need to be there because we're learning together as a body. And if you're not here, we're not all learning the way that we should, and something's missing. So plan on being here for that because um, we're going to learn how to fight together. Uh, but, but here's the problem is most Christians don't even know they're in a fight. I mean, that's the first sign that you're losing is when you don't even know that you're in a fight. The Greek word that Paul uses when he's talking about fighting the good fight of faith is agonizo. Now, that's an interesting word because it comes, uh, the word agony comes from that. All right, so when he's telling us to fight, he's, he's indicating that it, it's going to involve some agony. It's going to involve pain. It's going to involve anguish distress and conflict it it just is and it's no wonder that so many christians are just kind of content to settle for sunday morning faith because the the truth is that to, to walk this thing out and to fight the fight it it hurts and it's difficult and it's painful and there is suffering But here's what I can tell you, and this is just me speaking from personal experience. Giving birth to a child hurts, and there is anguish, and there is distress. But it's the greatest thing that you'll ever do in your whole life as a woman. It's the one thing that when I look back at my life, I I think that was worth every moment of the pain. And it's the same thing with the Lord. See, when you're in the struggle with Him, you can experience the greatest joy in moments of, of deep sorrow. You can enjoy, experience great joy when you are going through pain and anguish and you are suffering. Why? Because you, He is with you. And when you have a baby, you forget the pain because, you, because that baby is with you. And it's the most wonderful experience. See, when we are willing to suffer, we invite God into our everyday life in a way that a cultural Christian does not do. We get to experience intimacy with God that cultural Christianity will never allow. 
And what I'm telling you is we're having a culture conference because we're learning to create a culture rather than to conform to this cultural Christianity that has swept across our country and changed it foundationally. And we are believing God that we can bring our our country back, not because the country is the main goal, but because people are. The only way you can really fight is to engage with God. And if you're not engaging with God, then you're not putting up a fight. If Sunday morning faith is all you got, you're not putting up a fight. Faith comes from hearing the word of God, and it's got to be a daily hearing the word of God, not Sunday hearing the word of God, a daily hearing of the word of God. You know, that scripture says, now faith is the evidence of things we hope for. And I love how pastor puts that. It's now faith, current faith. Current faith requires current relationship, current reading of the word of God, current hunger and desire from within to know God in a way that you don't know him yet. See, I'm not satisfied with what I know about him right till now. I want more. And there's a battle taking place. Ephesians 6 says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And it's the age-old battle of good versus evil, light versus darkness, and God versus the devil. And if you're not fighting on God's side, then you are, you're aiding and abetting the enemy in all that you are doing. We, we can say, you know what? Jesus already won. Yay, Jesus won. We celebrated that he won last week. The devil's been defeated. Woohoo! And that is true. First, in John chapter 1, it says that darkness can never extinguish the light. Jesus is the light. He wins. We get it. It is true. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, Thanks be to God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is true. He wins. But what is also true is that those who are saved, who have been born again, who have overwhelming victory over their enemy over anything that would come against them cannot be satisfied in just having victory over death. You just can't. And here's why. Because people are, are, are running for a cliff and nobody is telling them. People are just running full on toward a cliff and nobody, not nobody's telling them. And that's our job. And it's not the preacher's job. It's not your job to drag people to church so they can get saved. It's your job to come to church and get equipped with everything you need to get equipped with to go out and tell people about the Jesus and you pray with them where you're at and they get to know him too. We're going to heaven in the end and that, that seems to be this thing that has satisfied us and it can't satisfy us any longer. But here's, here's what happens, though. And I've seen it. I've talked to people. I love everyone in this room. There's no one in this room I don't love, so please hear me. If you're, if you're one of them, I'm not, I'm not even thinking of a person, but I'm just telling you, I've talked to people, and it's all about fixing themselves. And when, when I get myself fixed, 
then I'll be usable and I can go out and do something for the Lord. Man, when I just get everything under control that I've got going on that's wrong with me, I will make an impact for the Lord. Here's the only problem with that is we ain't got time for that. We don't have time for that. I'm not an end times expert. I know it. I don't even try to be. But here's what I know. I know since I think it was 1948, there's been a lot of stuff happened and it's causing me to live every day like it, like it could be today. And if I'm going to live like that, I've got to believe that in my heart and I've got to do every single thing I can to reach people. To keep them from, from hell. And we don't say that word enough in our, our churches across America. But people are headed to hell and we need to do everything we can to stop them. We want to fill heaven up. You know, one of the reasons we want to fill heaven up is because he is worthy of it all. We just sang, you are worthy of it all. See, it... He, he's, if there's going to be a hundred people up there, here's what I'm telling you. He's worthy of 101 people's worship. If there's 101, he's, he's worthy of it all. So everyone that goes to hell because they did not have someone who talked to them in their life about Jesus. And by the way, you can talk to people. You've got to know that there are going to be people who reject him. So your job is just to do the telling. Okay. But there, there are going to be people that, in hell that should have been in heaven giving God glory and praise. And they won't be because somebody here on earth didn't do what they were supposed to do. So one of the great deceptions I believe that Satan has, has been, been very successful in convincing the church is that we got to fix ourselves in order to be a good witness. And I just don't find that in the Bible. I don't find it in the Bible. It says to do certain things, yes, but it never says you got to fix yourself. The Apostle Paul was walking along on the road and he met Jesus and he had a powerful encounter with Jesus and, and, and it blinded him. And, and his traveling companions took him to Damascus where God had had ordained someone to come to him. And in Acts chapter 9, we learn that this, this man laid hands on Paul. And it says that instantly he was healed. It says that something like uh, scales fell off of his eyes. So he was healed of his blindness, and it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 19, it says, afterward, this is after he has been healed of his blindness and filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, verse 20, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more 
powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he walked out of that home that he had been staying in, in the power of God to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, and he didn't sit back for... 10 years trying to figure out who taught him wrong and why did they lead me so astray and I'm just so hurt and so wounded by what happened to me. And trust me, I'm not saying that whatever might have happened to any of us isn't important. It matters to God, but he can heal you in an instant of that so that he can prepare you to go out and preach the word. Why are we fighting? We are fighting for people. We are contending for the souls of people who are headed for a cliff and they don't know it. And it's time for us to quit being satisfied with being secure in our own salvation and start thinking of somebody else. I believe there's a golden rule that says something about that. So I want to go back to our our passage out of 1 Timothy and what Paul told Timothy. He said, fight the good fight. And if you haven't been fighting, it is time to start. There are people who need you to fight. I'm going to say that again. There are people who need you to fight. You may not even know those people who need you to fight. I remember when when this church was very small and we were still in the lower building. And every time we would build something, pastor would point out, we're not building this for you. That's who he's talking. He's talking to the people who go to the church right at that moment. And he said, listen, we're not building it for you. We're building it for the next person, the next person who needs what God is doing right here in this church. And there are people who are counting on you to fight. And you don't need to worry about fixing yourself. You need to just fix your eyes on the one who can give you the power and the strength and the boldness to do that. Here's what you can know. All the while you're not fighting, the enemy still is. All the while that we're not fighting as a church, the enemy is still on the move. But here's what I can tell you. When you decide to fight, In 1 Corinthians 9.26, it says that we don't fight like someone who beats the air. Some of the versions say we're not shadow boxing. Okay, here's what you got to know. What that's telling you is we are fighting a real enemy. When we speak the word of God out of our mouth, we are fighting. Those are fighting words. We are fighting the enemy. He's real. And we need to know how to fight. And I'm going to give you two ways to fight. Now, one of them I'm kind of cheating, and you'll see when I get there. But um, number one, if we want to fight like Paul fought, first of all, if we're going to listen to the words of Paul and do what he said to do, he would be a great example to look to, to know how to do it, wouldn't he? And so he told us to fight a good fight. And one of the examples of his life is what we just read. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what? You can be saved 
and not filled with the Holy Spirit. And I know that that is, might be a, a different thing to consider for some people because we have backgrounds from many different denominations in this church and, um, and we love everybody. And we, uh, but here's what I can tell you is that we can back this up with the word. We can back it up with the word. You can be saved and not, not baptized with the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit with you? Yes, he is. But he can be in you. And he can fill you with the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And you can operate in boldness. And you can operate in power in your life when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, if you're, you know... If you're tired of walking around and not having the, um, the courage to say something at work to people that you really feel like you should have been saying something a long time ago, then be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you are tired of, of being sick and and and, and wishing that you could be healed, get filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're just tired of being tired as a Christian, if you just don't know what the next step is, be filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to move and operate in power, not your own power. It's the power of God in us. But it's important. So number one, be filled, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And number two, and this is the one I'm cheating on. I'm pulling all those words out of Timothy's passage. Run, pursue, fight, hold tightly, obey, teach, tell, guard, and avoid. That's how you fight. Get in that, that, that passage of Scripture and look at what it tells you to tell. Look at what it tells you to fight. Look at what it tells you to guard against. All right? And, and if that's not enough, look in Ephesians 6. We read part of Ephesians 6. Look in there. We didn't even get to Colossians 3, but look there. It tells us what to do. And, 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 you know, when it tells us to avoid certain things, I'm just telling you, if you'll start with number one and be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a whole lot easier to avoid a lot of those things it tells us to avoid. It's a whole lot easier to stop doing the things it tells us to stop doing. It's a lot easier to go do the things it tells us to do. But we must, we must, as a church, decide to just embrace the fight. Because as long as we avoid it, we're just giving place to an enemy. We're giving access to our enemy, to the people around us. We're giving access to our enemy, to ourselves and to our families. We've got to fight the fight of faith. It's got to come from your faith. It's got to be for your faith. And I'm telling you, it will begin to grow your faith. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.